If you have your Bible there with you, please, let's turn to Luke chapter 23. We'll begin our reading from verse 13. Let me read it to you. Then Pilate, when he had called together the chief priests, the ruler, the rulers of, and the people, said to them, You have brought this man to me as one who misleads the people. And indeed, I have examined him in your presence, and I have found no fault in this man concerning those things which you have accused him. No, neither did Herod, for I sent you back to him. And indeed, nothing deserving of death has been done by him. I will therefore chastise him and release him. For it was necessary for him to release one of them at the feast. And they all cried out at once, saying, Away with this man and release to us Barabbas, Barabbas, who has been thrown into prison for a certain rebellion made in the city and for murder. Pilate, therefore, wishing to release Jesus again, called out to them, but they shouted, saying, Crucify him, crucify him. Then he said to them the third time, Why? What evil has he done? I have found no reason for death in him. I will therefore chastise him and let him go. But they were insistent, demanding with loud voices that he be crucified. And one of the... And, and the voices of these men and the, of the chief priests prevailed. So Pilate gave sentence that it should be as they requested. And, they released to, and he released to them the one they requested. Who the rebellion and murder had been thrown into the prison. For whom rebellion? For whom? For. Of four. My English is terrible today, excuse me. But he delivered Jesus to their will. Forgive me. All I can say is painful knees and lots of painkillers. Excuse me. Beloved, we are now in the last hours of the Lord Jesus' life before his death. Before he is systematically crucified. If you remember, we have been... Luke spends more time dealing with the trial of Jesus than he does actually with the death of Jesus. For Luke, it's very important that we understand that legally, Jesus was innocent. By the law, no crime was committed. There was no fault found. Luke is instructing us very clearly that it wasn't because of anything that Jesus did that he was sentenced. It's very important that for Luke that his readers understand that, that this was a set up. Jesus was an innocent man. Now you and I, we are so Christianized that we can read these words and speed bump over them. They, they, they don't have effect on us. We're so desensitized to Christianity and to the story of Jesus that it no longer grips our heart. We are not made indignant. We're not made angry by the injustice here. We are not influenced and affected. We're not offended by what we're reading. We just read it and 
speed bump over it and go to the next chapter. It, it's not real, really. It's not really real to us. We don't read this the way Luke wrote it. Luke wrote it like a newspaper. He is giving a factual account. He is giving his eyewitness account. It is truth. My, can you say that everything you read in the newspaper is truth? Mm. But this was regarded as, as factual, truthful evidence. Not a fiction, but fact. You know, I don't know if, you, if you're on Facebook. I, I f- try my hardest to be off Facebook as much as possible. But every now and again, there come these uh, articles. And underneath there's a little fact. What is it called? Fact checked or something underneath. I don't know. I just, I just skipped through them. This article was fact checked and found something was not true. I looked up one and it said... Um, it made this little distinction. Is it, this man said it was, it was this big, but really it was much bigger, so it's not accurate. And they were saying it wasn't, the article wasn't true because the man had misrepresented because he had said it was so many thousands, but yet it was really so many tens of thousands, so it wasn't actually true. So we're desensitized. It doesn't really grip our hearts. We don't get offended by what we read anymore. We're very cynical. Very unbelieving in how we take in information. But look, the Holy Spirit through Luke really wants you to understand and know that Jesus did no wrong. And no guilt could be found in him. We have here Pilate. Pilate has done all that he can do to get Jesus off. He does not want to be a part of this phony trial. And remember, it tells us in the Gospel of John that Pilate's wife, a very ungodly woman, history tells us, so ungodly that her father, one of the Caesars, backed away for he disowned his own daughter because of her lawlessness, her godlessness, her wicked lifestyle. This woman received a dream and in that dream she was told, have nothing to do with this innocent man. And she conveys that message to Pilate. And Pilate hears and knows and thinks, "Mm, I want the blood of this innocent man on my hands. So Pilate has been trying all that he can do. And he tries the man and finds no fault. Tries Jesus, finds no fault. Here, once again, he draws, he calls to himself, summons the accusers. We're told who they are immediately. The chief priests and the rulers and the people. There's a crowd around them now. And remember, they can't be in the same room because the Jews would be then unclean. So history tells us that Pilate is sitting on his judgment seat on a balcony and the people are outside on the patio, on the border, outside the room. And so he's speaking to them. Jesus is there underneath them in the judgment place. And he he summons these people to himself. And he says to them, You have brought this man, that is Jesus, the one as one who misleads the people. And indeed, I have examined him in your presence and have found no fault 
in the man concerning the things that you have accused him. So once again, we are told Jesus is an innocent man. The secular powers, the wicked power of, of Rome has tried him and he is found innocent. There is no guilt in the man. He does not deserve imprisonment or punishment or even death. He should be let go. He should never have been arrested. It continues on. No, neither did Herod. Now in this Bible that I have here, it says, For I sent him back to you. That's like a quote from Herod. I sent him back to you. But also, one of the, the uh, other ones says, um, that, he, that Herod sent him back to me. And the idea is, if Herod had found any guilt in him, or if indeed Herod had thought him any danger to Herod's own throne, Herod being the deviant and wicked man that he is, he would have killed Jesus as a rival. If he had considered, if he had considered Jesus as a rival, he would have killed him immediately. There wouldn't have been a... But even Herod, even this wicked man, even this man who had lots of things at stake, found no reason for Jesus to be killed. Indeed, we know from the last preaching that he found Jesus of no consequence, no importance, and they despised Jesus. So Herod sends him back, and Pilate points out this, look, this man is so guiltless that even Herod couldn't find anything wrong with him and sent him back to be released. He's innocent. He's guiltless. He's of no danger. And then Pilate says this in verse 16, Therefore I will chastise him and release him. The idea there is that Jesus would receive a, a punishment, a minor punishment, and then he would release. The word in the Old English is to scourge. We all know what that means. It means to, to literally, when you have a, a burnt pot, you ever made porridge and burnt the pot, or chocolate sauce and burnt the pot, or any kind of food and burnt the pot, and there's a big black spot in the middle, and you have to get that black spot off. You don't kind of just wipe it, do you? You have, to, you have to take the wire brush, you have to take the scrubber, and you have to scrape it off with that. That's the idea of scourging. It means to, to scrape off, to remove with violence. And here, Pilate is offering them a an easy way out that he would scourge Jesus we're told it was a it was a lesser uh, punishment than death of course but one of the other gospels that tells us that many people died because of the scourging we all know that it was scourging was done with a cat of nine tails a whip with nine different threads or strands upon it and within those strands they were glass pottery bone pieces of metal had been plaited in so when it struck you and you pulled it out it would tear the flesh it wouldn't just leave a welt or someone once told me that it has the effect of unzipping flesh if you imagine you had a, a zip and you unzip the zip you know a drag chin whatever they're called and it just opens up. 
It had that effect on the body. It would just open it up. These hooks would dig in deep and tear out. So Pilate is offering just to kind of chastise him, just to scourge him, to give him a minor punishment. And then he would release him. And we're told there, of course, it was the habit, the tradition that they were to, that Pilate released someone every year. But the Jews would have nothing. The rulers, the high priests, the crowd that was there. They cried out even more, away with this man. We want nothing to do with this man. Take him away. And release unto us Barabbas, which really means the son of the man. It's like a, either, it's a, actually either a real name or it's just a, a smack name, a nickname or something. The other fella. Barabbas, the son of the man, the son of the father, who had been thrown into prison for a certain rebellion. And in the city and for murder. So this man wasn't just a petty criminal. He was assigned to be put to death. He was to be executed. He was to be openly displayed, to be crucified. And the Jews had decided that Jesus would be swapped in his place. This man, a terrorist. A zealot, one who had been involved in sedition, in rebellion against the city, the empire, the kingdom. And that he was a murderer. The idea here is that he was caught murdering. His guilt was of no question. He was a convicted murderer. And yet the religious rulers of the temple, the Political rulers of the people, they decided that they would rather have this terrorist, this zealot, this murderer than Jesus. They were more comfortable with a a wicked man than with a godly man. They had decided that this wicked man would live, but the righteous man would die. And Pilate again, again, Paul, the Holy Spirit through Paul shows us that Pilate again, therefore wishing to release Jesus, called out to them. Pilate is doing all that he can. It's being demonstrated to us again and again and again. Jesus did not deserve to die. Can you feel the injustice of it? The unfairness of it? It's very hard when... We're looking at another to feel empathy. But could you imagine if you've done nothing wrong and the whole weight of the government, the whole weight of the church, state church, is coming against you and it's saying, punish this person. What for? Just punish him. And you've done nothing wrong. You've, you've made no error, sin, mistake. And yet the whole weight of your culture, civilization, your peers is coming against you. There is this tremendous sense of injustice. Tremendous. It's not fair. 
It is being made clear to us. The, the, the writer, the one who inspired, wants to invoke emotion in you. Please don't fall into the bad habit, into the pattern of just reading through these verses and not even being affected. Look and see what's happening. Here is a good man. A man who spent his life helping people, pouring himself out on behalf of others. Regardless of the fact that he's God. Here's a good man who has done all that he can do to help others. Live his life for the sake of others. Now the wicked forces of this world are coming against him. And he is being crushed. Put down. Railroaded. Taken advantage of. He has no hope. Tells us here that as Pilate cried out, wanting to release Jesus, the crowd shouted, Crucify him, crucify him. Uh, They knew that Jesus was innocent. Indeed, they knew that he was the Messiah and they knew that he was from God. Remember Nicodemus who came to Jesus by night? Remember it tells us that in the book of John? Nicodemus was one of the 70, the ruling council of Israel. And he said to Jesus, we know that you are from God because no man can do the things that you've been doing unless God is with him. They knew that he was a prophet. They knew that he was the Messiah, the one sent by God. The only one. And yet they had made up their mind. Crucify him. Crucify him. See, that's what this whole sham trials and everything else. They went through the rigmarole. They went through the, the pretense and the pretending of all these trials, all this legal jargon and what's it, what's it. Just to get to this point, they wanted Jesus to die. And they wanted Jesus to die in a way that was horrific and terrible, to punish him and to make a statement Crucify him. Crucify him. And then Pilate said again a third time, What evil has he done? I have found no reason for his death, for death in him. Therefore I will chastise him and let him go. Once again we have the Holy Spirit through the the writer showing that there is this, this desperate attempt to try and set Jesus free. It wasn't a case that Pilate just went, oh, whatever, you know, it doesn't really matter. Pilate is actually intervening on Jesus' behalf. He's trying his utmost to let Jesus go. Yeah, I'll beat him. We'll scourge him. But we'll let him go. But there is no escape. To Pilate is a man who is motivated by political decisions. He is moved by what the mob says. He's not a man of conviction or virtue. He's a politician. He does what is the, the mob or the democracy says. And he just flows with it. And though he has tried to do all that he, that he can, ultimately the crowd will have nothing but the blood of Jesus. 
They're baying for it. They're like a pack of dogs surrounding a deer. Says there, but in 23, but they were insistent, demanding with loud voices that he should be crucified. And the voices of these men and of the chief priests prevailed. They became so loud that it threatened to be turned into a riot. Tells us one of the other gospels that they were becoming so violent, they were becoming so restless that he feared that a riot would break out through the whole city and it would spread. Just think of the riots we saw in 2020 in places in America that got out of hand and whole cities burned. We saw that. He's concerned that that might happen in his city and then he will be held responsible. Not just politically, but financially responsible. And in ancient Rome, they they didn't just give you a smack on the wrist and say, foo-foo. You could lose not only your job, but your head. And so Pilate gives in to the insistent mob. He gives up. Because who's Jesus to him? He's just a Jew. Yeah, he's an innocent man. But ultimately, Pilate thinks he has no skin in the game. He has, no, he has nothing to lose through the death of this one Jew. And it says here that so Pilate, Pilate sentenced that it should be so as they requested. Pilate gives in and gives them what they want. And he released to them the one that they had requested. Barabbas gets to go free. The one who had committed rebellion and murder had been thrown into jail for it. But then he delivered Jesus to their will. Again, we're supposed to feel something there. We're supposed to, it's, supposed, it's written to invoke a sense of how can they let a sentenced murderer and rebel, one who has murdered his own people, How can they let that man go who was caught red-handed and yet this innocent man, this one who went through trial after trial and counsel after counsel and yet was left? How can that happen? You're supposed to feel something. This is supposed to shock you. This doesn't happen in real life. That doesn't go on. How could they let this happen to Jesus? Because we've just read his life story. We've just gone through every chapter of Luke. And we see that he's a great man. He's a wonderful man. He fed the 5,000. He walked on water. He healed the sick and cleansed the leper. and Chased demons out of people. He taught wonderful things about quality. Taught wonderful things about reformation of, of society, of people living properly and living together with one another. How can he end this way? How can his story end this way? It's not right. Shouldn't happen. Surely there must be something we can do about it. But we're told no. We're told no. He is handed over. They delivered Jesus. To the bloodthirsty crowd. 
can you see the hints and the suggestions of substitutionary atonement here? Of the sinless for the sinful? For the guiltless? For the one who is full of guilt? You see, not only is the Holy Spirit through the writer trying to invoke a sense of injustice in you and I, but he wants you to see that you are Barabbas. I am Barabbas. And as Jesus gave up his life for that man, because Jesus was imprisoned and that man was set free, Jesus was tortured and experienced the wrath and this man got to go free. Jesus was taken out and executed upon a cross and this man got to go free. See, the Holy Spirit through the writer wants to impress upon your heart and my heart that Jesus died for sinners that they might go free. For the undeserving. There was nothing in this man that deserved pardon. He was a rebel. He was a terrorist. He was a murderer. Convicted and caught. Or caught and convicted. He was in prison and waiting sentencing. He would have died that day. Jesus took his place. And again, the Holy Spirit, through the writer, wants you to understand that is you. We can think, what injustice. What, what terrible unrighteousness. This is a tra- tragedy of, of unbelievable proportions. That man should never have been set free. That man should have died. But then we can, must consider that we are that man. We are the rebel against the cause of God. We are the one who has broken the laws of God. Murderers in our own heart. Jesus said if you look upon a person with hatred, anger in your heart, you have murdered them. Wow, that's severe. Jesus, the suggestion is again that Jesus rescued this man from death. You say, well, unintentionally, Kyle. But it is a living parable. It is a demonstration. It is the hint and a suggestion of that which he did for us. And though we might point the finger and say, Lord, that's not, that, that's not right. That man should not have got free. We must point the finger at ourselves and remember that we should not have been set free. We did not deserve the mercy of God, the loving kindness of God. There was nothing good or righteous about you or me. In our own eyes, we may have thought ourselves to be right. In our own opinion, we might have thought ourselves to be kind and good. But when we compare ourselves in the light of God's law, we find that we fall so desperately short. But all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All of us deserve our punishment. But the good news is that Jesus Christ has come into the world to see of sinners. The good news is that Christ died, that those who believe in him might live. Now Barabbas, we don't know, believed in Jesus. No, we have no record of that. 
We're not pointing that out. We're not saying he was eternally saved. But in his life, Jesus rescued him. Jesus was his substitute upon that cross. We who are dead in our trespasses and sins, we who do not know Christ, we stand outside the mercy of God. We stand waiting for judgment. We must hope beyond hope. I mean, could you imagine Barabbas that day eating his breakfast, whatever prisoners in Rome ate, their bread and water, I don't know. Do you think that he thought, well, there, there might be hope. There might be hope. I might get set free at the feast today. Me, who is a convicted murderer and rebel, rebel against, the, or against the, the Roman Empire, a terrorist, as it were, a man caught red-handed. Do you think that he thought, well, you know, today might be my lucky day. I might get to go free. No. He knew his con- condemnation. Beloved, as we know that the crucifixion, the death of Jesus Christ was by the foreknowledge and the, pl- the, the knowledge and the, the planning of God. That God caused all these things to work together for the good of all of us who believe in him. We must also understand that there is this wonderful suggestion The Holy Spirit, through the writer again, wants you to feel, wants you to see. He's doing this double take on you. All of a sudden, you're you're all this, oh, this is so bad. This should never have happened. And then in the giving of Barabbas, it's turned on you. And you realize, as Barabbas was, so am I. I'm no better than Barabbas. I'm no better than the chief priests or the rulers or the people who were crying out for his blood. I'm no better than Pilate who washed his hands of the blood and said, well, it's got nothing to do with me. But yet was still responsible. He still passed the sentence. Yes, it was the Jews who forced it to happen, but it was Pilate, who was the weapon in their hands, he he couldn't wash the guilt off those fingers. Beloved, in this little portion of Scripture, the Holy Spirit through the writer once again is showing us time and time and time again of the innocence, the guiltless of Jesus Christ. He wants you to feel outraged that such a tragedy, such a terrible thing should happen. The demonstration shows you quite clearly that Jesus was exchanged for this murderer, the despised of his nation. And then he flips it on you as you're in your outrage, in your, in your distaste, and you're like, this is terrible. How could, how could they do this? And you see yourself in Barabbas. Not deserving the mercy of God. There is nothing good in us, the Bible says. So beloved, let us remember 
that Christ was found guiltless. There's nothing sinful about him. Holy, holy, holy. He is thrice holy. And yet, the people of this world, represented by the Jews and by the Romans, did all that they could do to kill him. We like to think that in our world, good things happen to good people. And sadly, that's not true. Usually the wicked consume the good. But we understand that in this, God had a plan and a purpose. That Jesus Christ was not just the victim of some kind of conspiracy. He wasn't the victim of of just wicked men. But everything went according to the plan of God. And we must also understand that sometimes God moves in mysterious ways. His wonders to perform. His ways are above our ways. His plans are above our plans. And that we don't always understand the difficulties that we go through. Sometimes we might count it a defeat. Oh, my prayers weren't answered and the very thing that I was asking God to protect me from has happened. And oh, it's the end of the world. And yet you can't see the long-term picture. You can't see what the plan of God is through the ages. We must never think that God is losing. We must never think that, that because the worst has happened that somehow God is defeated. That Satan is winning. We look at the darkness of our own country. Of Europe, indeed the growing darkness, should we say. We're returning to post-Reformation times where people are, are held by superstition and fear and magic and all the rest of the nonsense. And we think, oh Lord, oh Lord, the devil's winning. But beloved, don't be fooled. Don't be deceived. His plans and his purposes are still being fulfilled. God is at work. And God is winning. His kingdom is coming. One day he will return in triumph. Jesus will not return kind of like, oh, I'm sorry I'm late. Jesus will not return and apologize. Oh, look how things are. I'm so sorry at the state of everything. Oh, no, the Bible says when he returns, he will return as a conquering king. As the lion of Judah with a scepter of iron. Meaning power. The Bible says that he shall speak as a double-edged sword. His word is law. There is no alternative. Beloved, let us take comfort. For though this could have been the end of the story, we know that resurrection day is coming. We know that Pentecost is coming. We know the story continues We know that the second coming is coming. That Christ shall return with great glory. Call is his own home. Beloved, do you see the injustice? Do you see the great tragedy of the death of Christ? But do you see yourself there as the condemned sinner 
ready to die, whose only hope is in the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ, as one who gives his life for another. Beloved, what a great Savior we have. What a tremendous security we have in Jesus Christ. As this man Barabbas was set free, so you and I are eternally set free from the wrath of God that is to come through the actions, the death, and the resurrection of Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's pray together. Our Lord and Heavenly Father, we pray that you'd help us. Lord, we confess that our hearts are hard and our minds are slow. Lord, that we are uncaring people. TV and fiction has desensitized us. Our upbringing, Lord, has desensitized us. The fake news phenomena has desensitized our hearts to the terrible injustice that was done to you. Lord, we are no longer moved as we should be moved. We no longer consider your death, Lord, and the trials and your innocence. We, we just know them to be true, Lord, and we kind of bump over them. Please help us, O oh Lord, to see the great tragedy that was done to you. Lord, the, the, the great injustices that you had to, to endure. Please, Lord, help us to see that you, the innocent one who should have been set free, was, was, was captivated and punished, not for anything that you have done, but because of our sins, because of our injustice, that you were offered up as a lamb who would take away the sins of the world. Lord, help us when we consider Barabbas, not just to see a man 2,000 years ago imprisoned for crimes that he committed, deserving death, but Lord, help us to see ourselves in that man. Help us, O oh God, to consider that we ourselves have committed crimes against you that deserve death. That we, Lord, are no different than he. Oh, Father, indeed, in many ways we are worse because we know your law. Lord, we have experienced your truth. Lord, we stand on the other side of the cross. Oh, Lord, we are so grateful for the, the gift of life that you have given us through faith in our Jesus Christ. We pray for those who do not know you. Lord, open up their eyes that they might see their own sinfulness that they might see their separation from you, that, Lord, they might see hell that waits in eternity future. Oh, God, please, and impress upon their hearts the importance of salvation. And, Lord, impress upon their hearts, Lord, the, the fear that drives them to you, Lord, that, that brings them to that great love. Oh, Lord, we pray this for your glory and your glory alone in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. Amen.